Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. To Psalm 23, as we continue our journey through this psalm that was written by a man who was a king, yet was living his life at a time like a slave. A man who was alone in the wilderness, running for his life. That would be King David. Psalm 23, we continue our series, I Shall Not Want. This is the third message of what will be a four-message series. Today's message is titled, In the Presence of My Enemies. In the Presence of My Enemies. What we're going to learn today is this. The Lord provides for us in the presence of our enemies. Therefore, we can be confident in God's faithfulness because he is with us in trying times. Let me just set the scene again, and you're very familiar with this because every week we've gone over the fact that David is alone. David is far from home. David feels betrayed. He feels rejected. He feels as if his life is in danger. David is in need of protection. He is in need of shelter. He is in need of sustenance. He is in need of safety. Now David is an anointed man of God and he is on the run for his very life. And when you're in survival mode, you don't really have time to think about the details of life. For example, what your wardrobe might look like or to contemplate the philosophies of the world. When your basic needs are in jeopardy, you are in survival mode and you're doing everything you can just to survive and to stay afloat. And in the midst of adversity, that's how we can feel. We seem to let go of all of the details of life and we just seem to want to focus on breathing. Taking it one day at a time, taking it one step at a time. This is where David is at now. A man who sat on a throne as king of Israel has now been reduced to just his plain humanity from the day that he was born back to that day. He came into this world with nothing and now he's in the wilderness and it may feel like to him that he has nothing. He has nothing left to give. He's been stripped of all that he has been given, and he is on the run for his very life. You know, while David was in the wilderness, and as we've gone through this psalm that he wrote in the midst of his great adversity, something very interesting begins to happen in the heart and in the mind of David. You know, he was in the midst of this great despair, And while the world around him was shaken to the core and everything seemed to be crumbling in and falling apart, David was reminded again just who God is and what he had with God. And there are some things that we're going to go over today that I want to share with you that God revealed to me during a time of just deep study during the course of this week that God is not only able to help us in the midst of our adversity, but David was able to rely on his relationship with God. And it was David's relationship with God 
that helped him find these qualities in adversity that I'm going to share with you now this morning. Number one, well, before we do that, let's take a look, look at the wilderness here. I wanted to show this map to you because I wanted to show you where uh, David was. This is called the Forest of Hereth, and this is Jerusalem. David had left Jerusalem, and he had fled into the forest, and this is a guess a bird's eye view of what that force will look like so just imagine if you will right you're le you've left all the amenities of home and you're living in that forest right you're having to find food find shelter keep yourself safe right he's on the run from his enemies so this is the kind of environment that David found himself involved in and quite often we can find ourselves involved in too not physically but spiritually but David he was able to find some things because of his relationship with God that helped him in the midst of his adversity number one David was able to find peace the Lord gives us peace amid adversity let's go into the scriptures let's take a look at verse 5 here in Psalm 23, we're going to look at the first part of verse 5. I want to show you something here that David realized. He says here in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A table. When you think of a table, at least when I think of a table, I think of a place of comfort. I think of a place where I can let my guard down. I think of a place for bonding and uh, the forming of relationships where relationships are strengthened and deepened as a child growing up every day when dad walked through the door from work at 3:55 p.m i knew that by about 4 p.m or 405 p.m we were all going to be sitting at the table eating supper together every single day like clockwork it was a place where there was peace at the kitchen table no matter what was going on we had peace we had security and we had comfort at the table you know I was reading an, an article earlier this week it said about the survey revealed that about half of our country eats dinner together at a table two days a week or less and that 30 percent of our country eats dinner together at a table once a week or less that may speak to the lack of peace that we have as a culture, as a society, as a country. The table is a place where we can find that peace. You know, Jesus, I'm reminded of a time of his great adversity. It was the Passover dinner, and there he was at the table in the upper room with his disciples and they were gathered around, the three of them, enjoying the Passover dinner. And Jesus himself knew that he was just moments away from being beaten and dragged to the cross where he would be crucified and he would be beaten and maligned and maliciously uh, cursed at. And yet he was still willing to do that. But that was on the horizon. But for that brief moment while he was sitting at the table with his disciples, there was peace. And he instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, here, this bread represents my body. Take and eat. Here, 
this drink represents the blood of the new covenant. Take this and drink it. There was a moment there where Jesus had calm, where he had peace in the midst of great adversity that was on the horizon. You know, the terrain in this area called Palestine, ancient Israel, as you saw in the video in the picture there, oftentimes there would not be much grass, not much water, a lot of sand, a lot of hills. The hilly territory would take its toll on the sheep. And as a shepherd was leading his sheep, he would often look for a table. Now, I'm not talking about a, a table that's constructed of wood like this. But to a shepherd, the flat places were known as tables. And so it was a great relief to the sheep and the shepherd when they came upon a table in the landscape. A flat place where the sheep could rest where they could graze, where they could lie down in comfort and where they would not have the strain on their feet and on their body from walking through the hills, up and down the valleys, through the valleys. So they often looked for a table to rest their sheep and they would find them in among the hills and these tables provided an opportunity for great rest, for great comfort and great security and the sheep could frolic and the sheep could play among these tables in the hills. You know, it was at a time like this also that David, when he was in the wilderness, he was looking for a table. And he wrote this verse here. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now David was a shepherd before he was a king. So he knew about what a table meant in the wilderness. That it represented a flat place on the landscape. But it also represented a place and a time of rest. And he was able to find rest. He was able to find peace in the midst of his, his adversity because he had a relationship with the Lord. He was able to rely on what he had with the Lord to provide him a table and to provide peace in the midst of these trying times. Now, his relationship allowed him to find peace in the midst of adversity. He had to count on God for this peace. Because the world itself does not offer peace. Look at what the words of Jesus say in John 14, 27, right up here. It says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. What Jesus is saying there, basically, is that I have peace and the world does not. The world does not have peace to give because the world does not know what peace is. The world cannot even properly define peace. And so you can't know what something is unless you can define it. Now, the world has been trying to have peace ever since the fall of man. And you see the trouble that we're in. You see the wars that we have. You see the conflict that we have. You can boil everything down around us to its basic, purest form and just take two people, two people, and put them in a relationship and you can see the conflict that takes place just between two people. 
Now you multiply that by billions and billions. And you see what we have. Peace. There's a search for peace. But I got news for you, friends. There is never going to be peace that is derived from mankind. Mankind will never provide world peace. Because they're incapable of doing it. We are incapable of providing peace. We are incapable of knowing what peace is because peace is a divine attribute. It's a divine quality. And you have to have a divine being to be able to provide it. And that divine being is the Lord God himself. Peace is not a natural quality that you can just find. Peace is not something that you can find in mankind. It's not something that you're going to find in the world. It's not something that you're going to find in nature. You're not going to have it because these are created things and they rely upon God. We are created beings and we rely upon God. And that's why David, in the midst of his wilderness, he was chased out off of his throne, out of Jerusalem, into the wilderness because there's no peace with mankind. But he was able in his time of need, in his time of trials, to find peace in the wilderness. And who did he find peace from? He found peace from God. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when I'm on the run, when things have gotten bad, when chaos ensues all around me, guess what, God? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you see what David is doing here? In the midst of his difficulty, in the midst of his struggle, who is he focusing on? Is he focusing on himself? No, he is focusing on God. David is focusing on the Lord. What we have been learning all throughout the last three months of our Bible study and Sunday school, as we have learned about how to cope with adversity, is that we do not focus on our troubles, but we focus on God. We focus on our troubles, and the troubles get bigger. We focus on our adversity, and we have self-pity. We focus on our time of need and we start to spiral downward. Folks, you know that these issues in life can be the cause of great stress. They can eat you up from the inside out. Cause heart attacks. Cause all kinds of just, I mean, we'll just wither away from the inside out. That stress, that worry, that conflict, that lack of peace. But the Lord says, I provide you a type of peace that the world cannot give you. A peace that only God can give. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Look what it says, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and that's exactly what David was experiencing during his struggles and difficult times his heart and his mind were guarded with the knowledge of peace that he had with God and nobody could take that away from him no one could take that away from him you know the world wants peace at least so they say but the world doesn't know what peace is 
And that's why it says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. You see, the world is going to pretend like there's peace and safety. They don't understand what it is. They don't know what it is because it only comes from God. It's a divine attribute. And then all of a sudden, destruction. I said, mankind will not ever be able to give us peace. There will not be peace on this earth until Jesus Christ comes again and establishes his millennial kingdom right here on this earth. That's when there will be peace on the earth. And it will be instituted and issued by God himself. It will not be the work of any man. Folks, don't look to men or ideas or the philosophies of the world for your inner peace. If you do, you will live a life constantly in the wilderness like the Israelites when they fled from Egypt. They wandered and they wandered. Why did they wander? Because they took their focus off of God. And God said, you left me, you took your focus on me, you looked upon yourselves, you made false gods out of these things around you, and you left me. And we are bound to wander in the wilderness, lacking peace, if we do the same thing. And Jesus says, I give you peace. I have peace to give you. And David had this, and his heart and his mind were guarded with this wonderful peace that surpasses comprehension, that surpasses all understanding that only God could provide. You see, that verse right there, what that tells me, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, that tells me that we cannot understand it. And if we cannot understand it, then that means we cannot know how to provide it. I know that you're wonderful people. But you cannot provide peace for anyone. That peace only comes from God. Sure, there are things that we can do. And I'm not talking about acting like our problems don't exist. And I'm not act, uh, asking you to say, you know, uh, let's, let's pretend that these issues uh, aren't going on or that we don't need to confront them when I'm saying that we focus on God I'm saying that we're acknowledging that we have trouble in our life but we're putting our trust in him to be our problem solver he's the one who will take care of it if we depend upon ourselves and our own thinking and I and if we rush to try and solve the problem in haste my dad, he always says, haste makes waste. And he's so right, haste makes waste. We rush to judgment. We rush to solutions. Then we're going to forego that inner peace that God can provide, knowing that he can give us what we need in the midst of our adversity. So David, he had this peace. Even though his life was in danger, he had a great peace because he said, God, you provide, uh, prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. But he also found victory in his hardships. God gives us victory in our hardships. Let's look at the second part of verse 5. It says this. 
You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, shepherds often anoint their sheep with oil. I didn't know this. I just learned this this week. Oil was used, grain oil or olive oil was used by shepherds and still is today to help with the cuts and the hurts on sheep. But they would also anoint a sheep's head, ears, and nose with oil, and they still do today, in order to help keep the insects and the flies away from the sheep off of them. And they also use it to help kill the parasites that can uh, spread between the herd and the flock. So the oil, the anointing oil, was a very useful tool. And that's why David says, you have anointed my head with oil. Now David, he also knew what it meant to be anointed with oil by God's prophet Samuel. He was anointed to be king of Israel. Samuel was called by God to go to the home of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, David being the youngest of these sons. And when Samuel arrived at Jesse's house, he said to Jesse, hey man, you got some sons? God sent me here to anoint the next king. And Jesse's like, oh yeah, look, we've got, I got sons here. Take this one. He brought out his oldest first. And one by one, from one through seven, God struck him down and said, no, this isn't the one. And he told Samuel this very thing. He said, listen, don't look at the outward appearance of these men. Don't look at how tall they are and their stature. Don't look at them and say, well, he looks like a king. God told Samuel this. He said, look at the heart. He said, God doesn't look at the outward appearance of man, but God looks at the heart of man. And so then Samuel was about to leave, and God said, no, don't go. There's still one son left. And Jesse said, well, yeah, it's my youngest son, David, but he's out with the sheep, shepherding the sheep. And he was small in stature, and they brought him out, and God said, this, this is the one. This is going to be the king. I want you to anoint him. And it was there that Samuel poured the oil over David in the presence of his brothers who looked at him at that time and mocked. And they mocked him again when he went into battle. And all of Israel's army was scared to go up against Goliath. But here came this young, small warrior of God, anointed with the oil of God. And he stood up and he said, I will take on that giant. I will cut him down. And his brothers mocked him. And they said, but you are just a young boy. And Saul was even going to give him his battle armor, who was king at the time, but the armor was too big to even fit on David. And David said, I don't even need it. All I need is a sling and a few rocks. And he went out there and he slayed that Goliath. And he did that because he had faith. Faith in his God. Faith in who God was and faith in what God wanted to do through him. He had faith that overcomes the world. You know, you and I have been anointed. Our faith in Jesus Christ anoints us with the Holy Spirit. 
When we trust in Jesus Christ, the Lord anoints us with the Holy Spirit. He gives us that spirit to live and to dwell inside of us and anoints us. And he says, you are my child. You are a child of God, a child of the king. And you can do great things because of me and through me. You're not going to do great things on yourself because of who you are. Because everything you have comes from me. Do you see the thinking there? That's a type of thinking you need. You can't do great things because of who you are or who you think you are. Anything great that comes from you is you being a vessel that God will use. That's what we, how we need to think of ourselves. We are instruments. We are vessels. We are the, the hands and feet of the church. We are the body of Christ. And God does things through us for his glory, not our own glory. That type of thinking right there is life-altering and life-changing. It changes the way you handle your money. It changes the way you run your household. It changes even the way you might cut your grass. That sounds so silly, doesn't it? But I'm telling you what, your relationship with God changes every little thing that you do because you see things so differently from a new, fresh perspective, a perspective that's enlightened by God. It changes the entire course of your life. It changes how... You, it changes its conviction. Conviction is brought into your life. Now, all of a sudden, you're sensitive to things that you weren't sensitive to before. Things begin to hurt your heart a way that they never hurt your heart before. All of these wonderful things are a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that, my friends, proves your anointing. Look, if sin doesn't bother you, there's a problem. Houston... We have a problem. If sin does not bother you, if it's no big deal for you to sin, there's an issue. We've got to draw close to God. And God will reveal these things that we're not supposed to be doing and that we should be doing. Sin should hurt to do it. It should not feel good to commit sin. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit helps us with that. You see, David, he was never defeated. He was in the wilderness. He was on the run from his life. But he was never defeated because he kept in mind his faith that he had in God. He said, you know what? Even if my, my enemies catch up to me in the wilderness and they overtake me and they kill me, oh, well, I have my faith in God and I will be with my maker in the heavens. He has prepared a place for me. And then he said this, well, if they don't, catch up to me then I'll be restored as king so no matter what the outcome was David had victory over his hardships and you can have victory over your hardships and difficulties in life by remembering who is in control of you and your eternal destiny and that is God Almighty no matter what happens to you in this life you have a future secure for you in the heavens listen to what the scriptures have to say 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is more powerful than all. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Time after time after time again, you are reminded that you are victorious in Jesus. That you have the love of God resonating within your heart and no man can bring you down. No situation can overcome you. Why? Because God is all powerful. He is in control. He has you in the palm of his hands. He has control and victory of those situations. He says, I have, Jesus said, do not have fear. You will have trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. My dear friends, do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have faith in the Lord God Almighty above? Do you have belief that he has saved you from your sins and rescued you to an eternal destiny in heaven? If you believe that, then you have victory. Amen. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And I can just see this is how David felt in the midst of that wilderness. Whatever happens to me, happens to me. But I have the victory. Amen? Do you have the victory this morning? Do you have it this morning? Tell me, church. Do you have the victory? Convince me. Tell me. Put me on trial and tell me you have the victory. You, oh, boy. It gets a little scary sometimes. <laughs> Got it, okay. <laughs> victory, you've got the victory. You know, something else that I have seen from David here that I never really picked up on before. Uh, this was kind of a new thing to me. And David believed that the vengeance belonged to the Lord. There was an instance... While he was on the run, he was hiding in a cave. And it's kind of a funny story in the Bible. King Saul, who was tracking him down, caught up to David, but didn't know it yet. David was hiding in this cave. And Saul went into the cave to use the bathroom to relieve himself, is what the scripture says. And David snuck up behind him and cut off a piece of his robe. And Saul didn't even know it. He wasn't even aware and it was later revealed to Saul as they were shouting at each other from a distance. He was like, hey, Saul, I could have cut your head off right here. I just have a little piece of your garment. And it was at that moment that Saul realized that uh, not only did David spare his life, but that God was maybe trying to lift David in the place that Saul was occupying and was unwilling to give up. And so David... He lived by this. He never took out his uh, revenge on those who were chasing him through the wilderness. Look at what Romans 12, 19 says. Never take your own revenge. Isn't that contrary to what we're taught in society? You know, you got to fight. For, you got you to gotta give it to them. You got to give it back to them. If they come after you, you give it back to them even harder and more, right? I mean, we, that is bred into us, right? 
to fight back. Well, fortunately, as Christians, we have a fighter for us, and his name is the Lord. And so I'm always, I, I'm always kind of, uh, when I, as I've matured in my faith, this, and this isn't always the case, I still have my lapses, okay? But when I feel like I'm being attacked, I can catch myself thinking, boy, they better be careful. They better be careful because they do not know who they're messing with, right? God is going to get them, and that's how you should feel, right? Because the Lord is on your side, and he is fighting for you. And so when people start to mess with you, you know you've got a warrior in the Lord who is going to take a vengeance. He will always, the Bible says this, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And David, he lived this out in the wilderness. He did not look to take the lives of his, those who were chasing him. He said, I'm going to leave that in God's hands, and God is going to take care of that. And by golly, God did. The Lord did. The Lord took vengeance on those who chase after the anointed one the anointed of God David and you are anointed of God through your faith in Jesus through the Holy Spirit and this I'll close with this this is another show of your faith right when you don't take revenge when you don't take vengeance and leave it to the Lord that shows that you're trusting God to handle it that is hard to do Man, because I tell you, you know, sometimes you're just like, ha, <laughs> how can I get them, right? How can I get them? And, you, you, you know, these thoughts come into your head, and you've got to be like, whoa, easy there, Seabiscuit. I've got to leave this up to the Lord. But the beauty of this is that in the end, all of God's enemies are going to be made a footstool for Jesus Christ. The Scripture says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that all his enemies will be made a footstool for him. When I was in the eighth grade, we made footstools in shop class. And I remember spending my days out in a hot, humid garage at home. And this can of varnish that I must have used to finish off my footstool had to have been like 10 years old. Because it was like almost solid and I'm trying to stir it up with my paintbrush and I'm slapping it on and it's like this thick as I'm slapping it on there. And it took days and days and days to dry. Well, my mom and dad, they still have that footstool. They still have that footstool. And when I was reading this passage, Hebrews 1.3, that's what I thought of that footstool. It has remained. Jesus will remain. Jesus is not going anywhere. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging, immutable, all-powerful God. And one day, all the enemies of the world, all of the false religions, all of the naysayers, all of the haters, they will become that footstool for Jesus. And you, you will be at the side, at the table with the Lamb who is now acting as your good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are our good shepherd. We thank you for the peace that you give us in the midst of adversity. We thank you, Lord God, for the victory that you give us in Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to worry about taking vengeance or having revenge on our enemies, that we can leave that up to you and put that in your hands, Father, and you can do with them whatever it is that you want. Father in heaven, thank you for providing for all of our needs, but thank you for providing for our greatest need, and that is salvation of our eternal souls. Father, I pray for the soul that may be here this morning that wants you to be their good shepherd but has never asked you to be, that has never invited you in. If that is you today, you can ask Jesus Christ to be your good shepherd, for he is already the Lamb of God. You can invite him into your life like this. You can say, Dear Jesus, and repeat after me if you want to ask Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my good shepherd. I want you to save my eternal soul. Jesus, I want to be in heaven with you when my physical body dies. I believe that you are the Lamb of God. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you will forgive me of my sin right now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again that you are great, that you are almighty, and I thank you that in a time of need, we can focus on you and you can bring us through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www.creekside-church.org and find us on the website. Once again, you've been listening to the Sunday message with Pastor Nick Stringer.